There's a saying that we try to teach our five kids. Um, You can either learn from people around you, God's word, other wise people, and then live. And that's a really good way to live. Or you can just live and learn things the hard way. So what I want to share with you today are things that I've learned the hard way after 30 years of marriage. Things that I think if I had known early on when I first got married would have saved me a lot of tears and a lot of heartache. Let's pray first. God, thank you so much for this day. God, thank you for each woman that's here. God, help us to know how to best love our man. Lord, that's, you've only called us to love one man, the one we're married to. So God, give us your grace. Give us your wisdom. God, I pray that I would speak your words and not mine. And God, I pray that you would um, speak to hearts that are here. Father, people that I know are, are hurting. People that I know are kind of on their last straw of their marriage. God, give them hope that your ways are good and you're a good God and you're merciful. And God, that you can help and heal a marriage like you did ours. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Well, I mean, I really thought Brad and I would be similar. You've kind of heard our story. We were raised in very similar homes. We spent money the same way. Our parents were very similar as far as how they spent money. His dad made him um, mow with cleats on and goggles. My dad did the same thing. Totally different states. (laughs) So I just thought, okay, we went to pre-marriage counseling. We went to Bible college. We did did so many things. We loved to read. We had read great books on marriage. So I thought, I mean, if anyone should be ready for marriage, it should be us. And then we got married. And reality set in. So one of the things I wanted to tell you about was self-pity had to go. Brad was a worship leader and youth leader. We had no family in town. There was really no support system. We had two kids. We were in seminary. Not much money. Cloth diapers. We were very poor. Had an old car that, as Brad said yesterday, ran barely. And needless to say, surprise, surprise, we had marriage problems. And I think what really helped me is someone said this in a women's conference, and I've always remembered it. Seminary didn't cause our problems. It just caused our problems more quickly to be brought to the surface. And I would say that in our own lives. Trials and things that we're going through in our life, they don't cause our problems in marriage, but in God's mercy, truthfully, it brings them more quickly to the surface than perhaps they would have been earlier. And I was actually feeling very sorry for myself. This is too hard for me. Brad's never here. No one should have to use cloth diapers. And needless to say, we ended up in marriage counseling. And one of the first things my counselor shared with me that has really helped me, and I still apply it in different ways to this day, is Philippians 4.19. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So either God's a liar because he said he will supply my needs, or my thinking's wrong. So there are so many times where I get bitter at Brad thinking, he's going to be gone the next three nights, I'm home with these kids, he's not here in the day, he's not here at night, there's just no way I can make it. And I would get these things so blown out of proportion in my mind about how bad it's going to be, and I was totally missing God's grace. So as my counselor shared with me, um, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 also, my grace is sufficient for thee. So it really helped me to realize, okay, whatever God calls me to do, he'll give me the grace to do. So instead of just sitting there and getting angry at Brad because he wasn't there, I realized so much of my happiness had been built around things I expected Brad to do. And I, had, I, mean, I didn't have a verbal list or a written down list, but there was just so many expectations. Like, we can't have a godly family if you're never home and you never see the kids and you've got to do this, this, this. I had all these expectations of how it should be. And so my happiness was dependent, in my mind, among around what Brad was doing or not doing. And as I learned in counseling, it really helped me to see 
God is with me in my home. He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Get to know him. And as a believer, his Holy Spirit lives within me. The living God of the universe is with me in that trailer in Columbia, South Carolina. And he can help me take care of two kids. So a night would, I learned the new way would kind of go like this. Okay, it's a Wednesday night. He's not going to be home. I'm going to get the kids fed, bathe them, put their pajamas on, brush their teeth, put them in bed by 8 or 8.30. And then it's like, okay, Jesus, we can do this. And at 8.30, I'm like, it's happened. We did it. I have two free hours. Yes, it's a win. Whereas before, it was all about how often Brad's home and he's not here to help me. And it actually made me become closer to Jesus. And this is applied in so many areas. You know, as you have teenagers, things change. Every season is different. But Jesus has become a close friend to me. And I've learned to think, if there's a need, then God will meet it. Either through your husband being home, but if he's not, then God's there with you. And his grace is sufficient. Second thing I learned was, don't be your husband's Holy Spirit. Could someone get me some water? I'm sorry. Um, Oh, thank you. Okay. Don't be your husband's Holy Spirit. I thought when I saw Brad do something I didn't like or something wrong, which basically meant I would do it differently, I needed to tell him. I mean, how else would I ever change him into the man that he needs to be? <laughs> I would just, I know I have to build this man. I mean, he has many flaws, so he just needs me to tell him that. And then I learned we need to work on our own areas and let God work on our husbands. And it's hard. So it's like saying, God, I'm here if you need me. I mean, I know him quite well, so if you need my help, mm, there's lots of things I can point out. But God can do a much better job than we can. It's like I had a direct connection to the throne of God, and I know how much TV my husband should watch, what family devotions we should do, and what craft should go along with that. I know the best place for the Christmas tree to go and exactly how he should put it in the Christmas tree stand because there's really only one way, and it's the way I want him to do it. And if he ever did offer to load the dishwasher, there's a certain way it should go. So I would correct him for not doing everything the right way, which is my way. And God help him that he bathes the kids and doesn't massage them down with lotion the way I do it. Well, first of all, if you know if you're married to a man, which I guess if you're here, you are. (laughs) I mean, men do things very differently than we do with kids. If you go out and think, I'm going to leave Saturday from 9 to 12. If you come home at 12, they may still be in their pajamas, hair going every way, eating Fruit Loops for lunch. But you know what? He kept the kids. But he's not going to ever do it, ever, the way you do it. It doesn't mean, kind of like Peter and Sarah were just saying, It's not necessarily a right or wrong way. That can just be a preference. The truth is, we want to rule over our man. I think part of that is because of the fall. And when they sense that, and we tell them all these things, that is the very last thing that they want to change. We are constantly telling them everything we think they should do. And basically, we're kind of treating them like they're dumb, knowing nothing, and they feel like they're a little boy whose mom is scolding them. We are their wives and a helper. We're not their mom. We're not God's Holy Spirit. And let's be honest. We say we want our husbands to lead, but really what I mean is I want him to lead exactly how I would lead and go where I think we should go and do it at the pace I think we should. It's best. And if he's doing something different than the way I would, it's the wrong way, and he's going to hear about it. So as you can imagine, that caused problems in our marriage. And I think God does use wives to speak into our husbands' lives because we are pretty much their closest physical relationship on earth. But if we've, used all of our, if we've used all of our words 24-7, telling them everything we think they should do, they're just going to tune us out. 
And when there really is something important that we would want to tell them, like, you know, honey, I really think have we, we really should probably consider getting out of debt. They've heard our words so often, they're just going to tune us out. God use, does use you, but make sure you are approaching your husband about what's really important and not just in the ways that you would do things differently. Leave his areas to God and all the energy we would have to use on our husbands. Ask God to show us what are ways I can contribute to the problem. The next one, you're going to really like this. Physical intimacy should be a priority. Now, I know when I said that, some of you said, oh, my word. I was really hoping we just heard that out last night. Please don't get on this subject. And, I mean, to be honest, this is an area hard for me. It's something I struggle with. I think it's, it's very common, very common to man. But it's an area that's so important that we need to address. Our biggest sex organ as women is our mind. Let's ask God to help us in our unbelief that says, I'm never going to enjoy this, and my husband and I will never get on the same page. And as I talk to women in our church and others, I hear stories like this. I don't mean just a few. I mean, like, lots of stories like this. I had sex to get pregnant and had two kids, so we did it twice, and then I told him no more sex. I mean, not necessarily just two times, but, you know, basically once I have my kids, I'm done with that. Or we haven't had sex in four years. We have it about, or we have it every six months. Speaking on the subject of marriage, 1 Corinthians 7 5 says, Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time, that you may devote yourself to prayer and come together again, lest Satan tempt you because of your lack of self control. This verse and many others leaves no room for us withholding sex. You are the only woman in the world whom your husband can look at sexually without compromising his integrity. Let me say that again. You're the only woman in the world whom your husband can look at sexually without compromising his integrity. Sometimes you think, well, whatever he did before marriage, just do that again. Well, no. You know how hard it is to go to bed with your wife and lay in a bed with a woman who won't even have sex with you or to see her undress and think, she won't even let me touch her body. God designed sex to bond our marriages together. Kind of what talking is to us, we want to be known and we want him to know our fears and what we're thinking, what we're dreaming. It'd be like a man thinking, I've talked to you before, I'm never talking to you again. I don't want to hear. Or Brad came in and, said, and I said, honey, I have this great story. And he's like, what? Hurry, fast. Like, you, I would just know he's not interested. Forget it. I don't even want to tell you because I can tell you're not genuinely interested in me. So for a man, that's what sex does. They actually feel a bonding in the relationship toward us. And we shouldn't make them feel like sex maniacs for wanting to have sex with us. And one of the reasons we struggle is the difference Is there not a difference? There is a difference. (laughs) Now, there have been exceptions, but there is a difference between men and women and their desire. God designed men, they have testosterone that puts them in the mood basically any time, 24-7. And they have a release that it has to come out. So for us, the only thing I can compare it to is you've had babies and you've nursed and you've breastfed. That milk is going to come down and it's going to be released. Can you imagine... As a man, you constantly have this, just like we have the need to sleep or need to eat. They have this testosterone that builds up in their body, and they need to have a sexual release. And that's just something every day they're having to deal with. Now, I think, in all honesty, we kind of got the best deal of that. That would be so hard. So that's something we need to think about as we're approaching this subject. And the sex act isn't just a physical release to a man. As I said before, it's something that actually, I think we just think, well, that's just something you could do with anyone. Well, no, they don't want to do it with just anyone. They want to do it with us. 
And I know in our mind, I don't really get it. I know it sounds weird. I don't get it, but that makes him feel emotionally close to us. When we say to our man, and when a, when a man hears his wife say, not tonight, they really hear her say, I'm not that interested in you as a person. And I had this really neat story, true story, a woman in our area. She's not here tonight, today, doesn't go to our church. Don't try to figure out who she is. <laughs> but it was just the neatest story. All right, now, I have never done this. Oh, I need a drink before this one. <laughs> Two drinks. I've never done this, but this was such a neat story to me. And so I asked permission if I could share that, share her story. So this is kind of her story. Most times when she was tired or irritated and she knew that her husband wanted sex, she would avoid him or get busy in the house so he would have to go to bed before her and she could avoid him. She was being very industrious. Or she would just pretend she was quickly asleep. So... But she could tell sex seemed to be important to him. So she did this experiment. She didn't tell him, but she just thought, I'm going to try something because I've heard and I've read sex is important to men. Don't really get that, but we're arguing a lot. I don't feel close to him. So she was a school teacher, and she thought, this summer, I'm going to initiate sex every single day. Remember, I've never done this. (laughs) But she just wanted to see what would happen. Well, first, of course, she was like, whoa, like, what what is going on? Eventually, he figured it out. But she said it was amazing. She said all of a sudden, he's going around the house with a paint can and a little brush, and he's doing the baseboards. And she's asked him that for years. Please paint the baseboards. He's cleaning out the garage, getting rid of things they've had for years. And she's like, but for some reason in his mind, and once again, I don't totally get it, but she just said, he felt so close to me. And he's like, my wife is for me. And then he said, you know, Maybe we could just get by on one salary. So I don't think she went for that. But every summer she still does this. So, you know, I'm not saying you have to do it every day. I've not done it every day. Don't, I'm not saying that. But it does help us realize in some ways make it a priority. I mean, at different seasons we do different things. But I remember at one time when we had five kids and everything so helter-skelter, we would have a certain night or certain two nights or whatever. So that just seems real mechanical, whatever. It's better than not doing it at all. So the bottom line is make it a priority. And listen to what this woman counselor had to say about this. This is a great article, by the way. Uh, if you really want a copy, it's like one of the best articles I've read. It's kind of long, but it doesn't make you feel guilty, which I really appreciate, but it really kind of helps explain the differences between men and women. But I'm going to read part of her um, chapter from this. Typically when, typically, when I see a couple in marriage counseling, I ask both the husband and the wife the question, what would you like to see changed in, through our time together? Most of the time, the wife is the first to respond. She doesn't have to think too hard about the question because she usually is the one who initiated counseling. Her answer often sounds something like this. I hope we communicate more. I want him to understand my needs. I want to feel closer and more appreciated by him. She might also include specific requests such as help with the housework, more involvement in parenting, or more active role in a spiritual leadership. Nine times out of ten, the husband's response has something to do with sex. His request is usually short and straightforward. And nine times out of ten, the husband gets some kind of disgusted or dismissive look from his wife. Her body language screams, you've got to be kidding. Don't be so superficial. And sometimes she gives me, the woman counselor, one of those woman-to-woman looks that says, see what I have to deal with? How are you going to fix this? Take a step back from the situation and look at the facts. The wife has made at least three or four demands on her man. He makes only one from her, and she dismisses it as petty and superficial. 
As a wife, I understand the woman's reaction. As a psychologist, I recognize that her response is illogical. Why is this such a roadblock? If sex is the one thing that would make a difference for him, the one thing that really makes him feel loved, why not make it a priority? Why is it so much easier to make his favorite meal or buy him an elaborate birthday gift than it is to meet his sexual needs? And I think one reason it's easier is because all day long you've had kids hanging on you, you have people at work asking things from you. People are always wanting things from you. It's just like it's easier to make a meal or to buy him an elaborate birthday gift because it's kind of out there. Sex involves giving of yourself. It's actually a vulnerability and a giving beyond your own capacities. Here are some reasons that we say no to physical intimacy. And I brought this book that I really like. It's in our resource center, or you can get it on Amazon, Intimate Issues by Linda Dillow. Obviously, I'm not going to have time to go into more detail, but if any of these ring a bell, this would be a great book to get. The reasons we say no to physical intimacy. Guilt over past or wrong relationships. That's going to play a part in your marriage. We associate it with bad. Pornography, child molestation, don't have sex, don't have sex, don't have sex. You've told that your whole life to get married. It's like, have sex, have sex, have sex. So it's, it's a brain change. You're unhappy with your personal appearance. Or you just have unresolved conflicts. You're ticked off at him. Anytime he doesn't meet your expectations, you manipulate and pull away sexually. And it's always the first thing you withdraw. And sometimes you're just plain tired. I can so relate to that. One night I was laying in bed kind of thinking, oh, so nice to be here. And I'm thinking, not tonight. And I thought, oh, I really want to get better in this area. And so I just had this little scenario in my mind. I thought, you know, I love to shop. What if Macy's called me right now at 10, 30, or 11, whatever time it was, and said, Vicki Bigney, we have some exciting news for you. This is not a scam. This is not a hoax. You have won a $2,000 shopping spree to Macy's. There's only one catch. You have to get up right now and come to our store at Florence Mall. I mean, I would be, woo! <laughs> I am going to Macy's. I mean, I would probably do it for $250. I'll probably do it for $100. Literally, $100. <laughs> I would go. <laughs> So, why is that so hard? What happened to my tiredness? It was what I was thinking about it. If I had the strength to go to the mall and go to Macy's and shop, I had the strength to have sex with my husband that's coming from me and not some other woman, and it won't even take as long as a shopping trip. (laughs) So, as you're laying there tonight thinking, I'm too tired, just hear my little voice. If you have the energy to shop, you can just do this. Literally, sometimes I'll just think, Could I go to Macy's? Yes, I could go to Macy's. (laughs) But seriously, God is a real God. He knows exactly what you're thinking and feeling. He knows how hard your day's been. Pray and say, God, give me grace to, to love my husband this way and maybe even have fun in the process. God can do that. Okay, number four. This is really deep. God's will is for you to stay married to your current husband. Okay, in Greek mythology, they had this idea of a soulmate. Well, I'll tell you, you've come to the conference, whether you paid 50 or 100, this is worth the price of the conference. You are married to your soulmate. You have him right now. You chose him. Mm-hmm. In Greek mythology, they had this idea of there's one certain person. So there's some creature has the name. Plato came up with this idea, and it has two arms, two legs, two um, Male, one has male anatomy, one has female, and then the face, there's half a face, there's 
that makes one head. So I'm supposed to go find this person that our faces Just go together. Whoa. And we're like this. So, but God's word says, no, the two shall become one. And I kind of feel like we're more like this. But the husband you're married to now, that is the husband you're supposed to be married to. But we do need to put things in place that will protect our marriage. Surround yourself with people that are for your marriage. That's why I love small groups. I love the relationships I see you all developing in our church because you need friends that are for your marriage. If you're just talking to your unsafe friends at work or to your neighbors, that is not a good source of wisdom to have in your life. Also, the Internet is not your friend as far as your marriage. or You have to be careful with it. I have a friend, Brian already mentioned last night, a pastor's wife in West Virginia, KP, and we play this little game on our phone. And, you know, she's busy, I'm busy. She lays a tile. Three days later, I lay a tile. Two days later, she lays a tile. So, I mean, it takes a long time to play a game. And one time I thought, you know what? I'm going to play this with somebody else, and they'll just choose someone for you. So they just chose some per- person, and it says hamburger. So I'm just thinking, some big man hamburger. I don't know. But, you know, hamburger could be a 40-year-old man. He could be a 9-year-old girl. He could be a 37-year-old woman. I don't know. I have no idea. But there's a little thing up there. I can actually text this person that I'm playing, and KP and I'll text each other occasionally. And I thought, okay, I know. I'm not going to text this person because I have no idea who they are. But then I found myself, I think it went on for like two or three days. I'm like, has hamburger played me? Let me go get my phone. Look. Then I started thinking, I am getting so excited about this hamburger and thinking, who is hamburger? I mean, <laughs> you know, and you think, well, wow, Vicki, what is wrong? Like, you have a problem. <laughs> well, I know my own heart. My heart, the Bible says, is deceitful and wicked. And I don't want to do anything that's going to place my marriage in jeopardy. So I defriended him or whatever you call it. Hamburger, no more. <laughs> And just like, you know, for that first love where you had your first kiss in high school, that old high school romance. I mean, for me, I have a situation like that. And not that it's wrong to have Facebook. I just, I can't keep up with my own church family and my own five kids. I got enough going on. I keep it with people when I met in sixth grade, you know, friends stuff kept. I do keep up with them, but not on Facebook. But it would be dangerous for me to Google this person's name. I've never allowed myself to do that because I thought... I know that some of those feelings might still be there, so why am I even going to go down that route? That's what Satan said. Oh, you can handle that. What is wrong with you? You're a grown woman. Like, nothing's going to happen. Well, you know what? For me, I want to set the gate pretty high on that area because I don't, it's just not worth playing with fire for my marriage. There's nothing too radical we can do to protect our marriage. Um, recently, our 25-year-old son came over and said, Hey, Dad, do you know some girl named Lori Wilson that you knew in seventh grade in Spain? He's like, Oh, yeah, she's my little girlfriend. And I was like, Hmm, okay. And Harrison said, Well, she contacted me on Facebook and said, Are you Brad Bigney's son? Because I'm trying to get in contact with him. I was his friend in Spain in seventh grade. She didn't say girlfriend. And Harrison said, which I was really glad, like, good Harrison he said I thought I looked on her site and I saw she was recently divorced and I thought I am not giving dad her contact information I'm like thank you Harrison thank you (laughs) so even a 25 year old boy knows okay these things can cause problems and once again this is rampant it's not just like happens in California no this happens here in our church it happens um and then something else that I think which I'm being vulnerable to tell you, but this, this subject came up in our small group about last year, and it was just like throwing a match on straw. It was just like, so I shared something that I'm going to share with you now, and I think it really helped me see this is a problem that we need to talk about more as Christian women in our churches. So what's going to happen? I've been married for 30 years now. What's going to happen when you're actually attracted to someone else that's not your husband? Okay, 
that initial thought or con- is not a sin, but it's what you're going to do with that because it is going to happen. Now, if it's happening every day or once a week or once a month, that might be a different problem. But I'm just saying, in 30 years of marriage, it's happened to me. Not even every year, but I just remember sometime last year I was at Kroger, and I'm just digging through this reduced fruit clearance bin. Like, I'm not looking for trouble. I'm not wanting to leave my marriage. I'm just looking for a good fruit juice. So out of the corner of my eye, I see this hand come, and it's like a pressed starch shirt. And I was like, who is that? And it's this man there in a tie about probably five years younger than me, and we just kind of looked at each other, and it was kind of like, <laughs> you know, you know what I'm talking about? So I don't know what you even call that, but it was some type of attraction. Kind of like, okay, we could have chemistry here. All right, is that a sin? No, I don't think it is. I wasn't looking for this. I wasn't trying to find another relationship and leave my husband. But what I do next determines where this is going. So, I mean, I can talk to anyone. I can talk to a tree. <laughs> so I could have said, oh, like, What's your favorite kind of fruit juice? What kind do you usually get? I mean, for me, that would have been wrong because I'm now engaging this person that I feel some sort of attraction to. So my job was I need to get my little emotions and take them to the frozen food aisle <laughs> very quickly. And, but this is going to happen, so let's talk about it, you know? And I, th- I think, you know, it could happen at work. It could happen with someone in a small group. I've seen couples that are best friends, they go on vacation together. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. But if you're finding attraction for your best friend's husband, you need to put some guidelines in place. Because it's going to happen. It can happen. So what, but it's not a sin, but what are you going to do with that? That's what determines how your marriage is going to work. One of my favorite verses about this is, um, oh, right here. Um, James 5.16 Confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Break that bondage of secrecy. See, when it's secret, it's just us and we can handle this. That's not a good idea. Break the bondage of secrecy and share it with a friend. Say, hey, I'm struggling. I say use their name or whoever this person is. Tell them. Will you hold me accountable? And I think that kind of helps break that bond. And I had a handout, the chain of events that lead to adultery. This is one of my favorite handouts ever. Keep this close by. Because at some point, I guarantee you, you're going to find yourself on this list. So it starts with just, you know, a growing awareness of a particular person. Time spent thinking about the person's attractiveness. Unplanned, innocent meetings and contacts. Then you spend time comparing them with their present mate. And it goes on and down until you actually commit adultery. So find yourself on this chart. I have found myself on this chart before. And tell someone about it. And once again... Please don't say, oh, my word, are Brad and Vicky okay? We think she has a problem. <laughs> I don't. But I'm just saying, let's be honest. These things do happen. It's probably happening four or five times in our 30 years of marriage. It's like, oh, there could be something between me and this person. Put a stop to it. Talk to someone about it. Break the bond of secrecy. And this, to me, kind of helps you realize where things are going more quickly. Okay, number five. Be willing to admit that you were wrong and move toward your husband. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. One way I talked about that is kind of what Sarah mentioned earlier. You know, one thing Brad and I have just started doing, like, what time does the marriage conference start this morning? I think it's 8.30. No, it's 9. No, it's 8.30. You know what? You're right. I'm wrong. It's 9. It's not 8.30. So in times of non-conflict, just get in the habit of saying, I was wrong. (laughs) 
when we nurse our hurts, and I used to have a list of all the ways brides bothered me and sinned against me, and I just kept thinking about that. Precious, my precious. <laughs> that just puts a wedge in your marriage. First of all, God's forgiven us so much, but for some reason this clicks with me more. I am actually using, being used as a tool in Satan's hands to destroy my marriage. And I'm like, I don't want to let him get that. No, I don't, I don't want to let that happen. I need to extend forgiveness and then say I'm sorry. The Bible says a wise one builds her house, but a foolish one tears it down with her hands. And just don't take everything so personally. One of, my comp- one of the things I say, L-I-G, let it go. And we talked a little about, about that earlier. A good teammate work, learns, and helps with the daily task of life. I love it. So the sovereign Lord. We're a team player. I love that word that Peter and Sarah used. We're not in a boxing match against each other. We are a team player facing each other. Then the Lord said, it's not good for a man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. I mean, Brad acts like I'm some mechanical genius, but really, he's very gracious. He's often very gracious. He acts like I'm, oh, so wonderful. I have many issues that he just, he knows he's not going to talk about them, so I'm trying to. Um, But necessity is the mother of invention. So you see, why did you work on your dryer? Because I had five kids and lots of laundry, and I can go one week but not two, so I'm going to figure out what's going on with that. Recently, my car got stuck in the garage, and I knew I have to get Sarah at 2.30, so I need to figure out how to get that thing out. So that little box on the outside of your garage, you have to call the company, wait forever. They have to go back inside, push a green button, come back out, reprogram the code. Didn't work. Call them again, go back in. So part of the reason I fix things is because there's a need. Recently, we needed a new mattress. Well, Brad didn't think we did. I'm like, honey, I'm hanging on the side of the bed. Like, instead of (laughs) rolling in the middle, he's like, yeah. I'm like, no, I'm hanging on the side of the bed. (laughs) So I went and did all this research. So, um, and I pray. I'm like, God, help me. I'm not a mechanical genius. I need your help. And um, I went to the mattress store, picked out two mattresses, come lay on one. You know, there's Tempur-Pedic, there's Sleep Number, there's coils, all these different things. But YouTube videos help. Um... Home Depot, Consumer Report, they were friends. Um, Now, there have been some disasters, huge disasters. I was trying to fix the front doorbell one time and got electrocuted. Like, that thing has a lot of voltage. (laughs) And then also, one time I was trying to replace a washer. How You know, washers are like 49 cents. I can do this. I don't need to call Ray, my plumber. So I was trying to replace a washer in our bathroom sink, and all of a sudden it was like old fateful, the geyser. <laughs> and all the kids were around like, Mom, Mom, there's a problem. I'm like, I know, there's a problem. <laughs> I didn't turn the water off. So from now on, I don't do plumbing. I call Ray. He's a great guy. If you need a plumber, I've got a plumber. <laughs> Number seven, um, practice joy versus discontent. Proverbs 19.13 says, A nagging wife is like a leaky faucet. John MacArthur says, an obstinate, argumentative woman is literally like a leak, so unrelenting that one has to run from it or go mad. My husband, he bought a $359 LA Fitness membership, and I told him, you will not use that. And you know what? Twice. He's used it two times. And he should have listened to me because I already told him there's an elliptical in the garage that he bought. That was $800. He never uses that either. But me, I still have the same old carpet that we've had for 10 years. And I've been trying to get rid of this. And if he would not have made that poor financial decision about that home in Colorado in 1979, we wouldn't be in this mess. And you've met women like this. They're not happy about, she's not happy about the car she has to drive, the house they own. She can't buy organic food. And you want to run from her. And it's so easy to see another woman 
but it's hard to see in ourselves. And what's going on here? She's thinking something. And this verse was mentioned earlier by Peter. Matthew 12, 24. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And heart in the Bible is synonymous with mind. And I've been told we think 40,000 thoughts a day. What you're thinking affects your actions and your emotions and your mouth. And it's a choice to choose to think on what you can be grateful for about your husband or what you don't like. So let's say here's a 100% man right here. Here he is. All right, let's say that 60% you're happy with, or let's just bump it up to 80. Let's be gracious. 80% we're happy with, but I'm constantly focusing on what I don't like, the 20%. That's going to be really bad for your marriage. Focus on what, what is good. There's actually a verse that goes with this, Philippians 4. Is there anything worthy of praise? Is there anything? Help me, Jesus, see anything. Is there anything worthy of praise? And kind of like Brad or Peter once said, you know, he comes home at night. He's a good dad. He's kind to my parents. I appreciate those kind of things. Focus on those things and not just the 20 that you don't care for. Are you going to practice discontent, the 20%, or practice focusing on what is good about your husband? And I tell my boys, look for a girl that is joyful, not moody, whiny, needy, high-maintenance, or full of drama. You do not want to be married to a woman like that. And when you see a girl that's joyful or a woman like you, it doesn't mean that things haven't gone her way or that she hasn't had some huge heartaches. It means that she's choose to focus on the good of what God's done in her life instead of just the negative. Are you a discontent, complaining wife? Are you a burden to your husband? Does your husband want to run from you? Do you make him want to go mad? Be brave. Ask him. And if you don't, aren't that brave, ask a close friend. But you should have friends in your life that can point out, hey, you're being really like high maintenance. You seem really needy right now. Allow your friends to speak into your life. Number eight, give up the martyr complex and serve Jesus. Have you ever had these thoughts? No one notices how much I do around here. Am I the only person that can unload the dishwasher for crying out loud? <laughs> if, I have thought this. It's so shameful. See, I'm not as great as Brad makes me out to be. <laughs> If I died, I literally thought this one day, if I died, they would see how much I did, and they would all miss me. And then they'd realize what a wonderful wife and mom they had, because right now, they don't appreciate me. And this is an area I have to continually work on. Um, It was probably five years ago, but just stands out as being so horrific. Um, It was Mother's Day. Happy day, Mother's Day. Brad's always good. He gives me a card. But you know what? I'm not Brad's mother. That's nice. 80%. Thank you, Brad. That's good. And I do appreciate it, but I have five kids. So, you know, wiped up a lot of vomit, wiped a lot of bottoms, like Mother's Day. It's my day. So I think Sarah did say Happy Mother's Day when we woke up. But we went to church because it's always on a Sunday. And people are saying, Happy Mother's Day. I'm like, ah, thank you. Happy Mother's Day. Nice. Then, though, I just thought, none of my kids have done anything. Like, what's with that? Where did I go wrong? So, went to my favorite plot spot. Please do not come and tell me this is bad for me. I know it's bad for me. I'm cutting back. It's just a little disclaimer. I went to Thornton's to get myself a big drink. Not a 16-ounce, not a 32, 44 styrofoam with that little crushed ice and got a Diet Mountain Dew. So, I'm over there filling that up. And I thought, I mean, it is Mother's Day and no one's acknowledged this. So, I'm going to treat myself and get a little piece of um, cake. I love pastries and cakes. I'm going to get a little piece of cake. Um, Carrot cake with cream cheese icing and nuts. And so then, as if I'm already not feeling so bad for myself, I go to the counter and start telling the lady. Like, you know, she's like, it's Mother's Day, and I have five kids, and, 
you know, none of them have done anything. So I just thought, I'm going to take myself to Thornton's and buy myself a big drink and some carrot cake. And she's just like, <laughs> call, call security, you know. But this has really helped me. And like I said, I have to continually work on that. But think, you know, I'm just glad. Oh, and I didn't finish the story. I left my poor kids under the bus. By the time, by t- the time 12 o'clock that night, they had all come through with something. So just remember, if you have teenagers, they're not going to be real quick. It might take till 12 o'clock at night to acknowledge Mother's Day. But, but you know what? Even if they don't, it's all right. You know, God sees what you do. God's going to reward you. One of my favorite verses is Matthew 25, 40 that helped me. Because as moms, we do lots of things. You clean the tub for the thousandth time. You spend three hours preparing macaroni and cheese and beef stroganoff. And then, whoo, in 12 minutes, it's gone. Like, really? I just spent three hours doing this? But you know what? Jesus sees. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And this verse says, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even to the least of these, you did it unto me. So much of what we do as wives and moms is behind the, sh- the scenes. I call it your shade ministry. And it's okay. And it really helped me to know God sees. God is smiling. These things we're talking about don't seem spiritual, but they are. Scrubbing the same bathtub you scrubbed last week is a spiritual act of worship to God. When we serve our families, we're serving God. What was once a burden can transform into worship. And a little phrase I heard recently that I really like, it says, Learn to love your duties. It really changes our attitude. You know, just learn to love what God's given you to do and don't feel... um, You know, don't be the martyr. I'm having to clean the bathtub. No, learn to love your duties. It makes such a difference in your attitude. Some phrases husbands have never heard but would love to. You're a good leader, a good husband to me and a father to our kids. You're such a hard worker. Thank you for not being lazy and bringing hardship to our family. When you have a lazy husband, that's really hard on the family. You know, when when I see Brad working on the budget, I already told him, hey, if you die, we're going to the envelope system because I cannot keep up. He does all the receipts and types them in, and it's just like this some elaborate, complex thing. I'm like, I am never doing that. <laughs> I'll try to work with you, try to spend money wisely, but I'm never doing that whole budget thing. I'll just go to the envelope system. When it's gone, it's gone. But, you know, thank him. When you see your husband doing things, and maybe you do the budget. It doesn't matter. But when you see your husband doing things, don't just take for granted that he's doing those. And, yeah, whatever. I do things. He does things. In our marriage, when... We weren't a team. It was more like a boxing match, you know. I'm not going to give if he's going to give. I'm only going to go forward to him as much as he goes forward to me. No, don't do that. Be a team and encourage each other when you see your spouse doing things. And don't just take him for granted. Um, The next one, can we have sex tonight? Practice it tonight, you know. When I see you smiling tomorrow, I'm like, Macy's. Or, hey, I mean, if you really want to be a Green Beret in this and be the school teacher that initiates it every day and see what happens, I'd love to hear your stories. (laughs) Not quite there yet, but I'd love to hear your stories about that. (laughs) Um, The next one, what can I do to help you today? So often we would much rather do our own agenda. And it looks so busy and spiritual. We're baking bread. We're helping out with the kids. We're doing laundry. We're going to work. But... I often will try to ask Brad, just because it's a good practice for me, hey, what can I help you do today? And sometimes it's stuff I don't want to do. Like, oh, would you go return this thing to Best Buy? Like, I don't want to do that. I hate returning things. It's like a 
They're going to ask me questions I don't know. And they're going to say, why is this box torn up? And they're going to say, we don't want to take this back. And I, mean, I just, I don't like doing things like that. But if they ask you things, I mean, one of the biggest problems in our marriage, and it just seems so like, still seems weird to me. When we went to marriage counseling, they made us make a list of like the top three areas we're supposed to work on. You know what the number one thing I'm supposed to be working on for him is? Listen carefully. <laughs> when I ask her to sew a button on, she does. What? You know, I mean, to me, and this is how it would go. He would say, hey, would you sew a button on my shirt? And I'm thinking, you got lots of shirts on there. Like, that's really not a priority. I mean, that's way down on my list. And I'm thinking, you know, two or three months, I might get to that. But just wear a different shirt. But for him, that was my way of showing him, you're not a priority to me. That may be important to you, and I still don't get why. Maybe it was his favorite shirt. I don't know. But if it's important to him, it needs to be important to me. Even if I don't understand. So if he asks you to do something, make that a priority. And lastly, but firstly, really, put God in his place. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. I have that stenciled on the inside of my, um, front of my, over my front door. Because I have a tendency to not be still and to think, where is God? God sees exactly where you are in your marriage today. I mean, I used to just cry in the shower. Probably lots of it was self-pity. But I remember in our old apartment, Brook Pines, Columbia, South Carolina. That was before the trailer. And just saying, I was so confused. I was like, God, I was really excited about getting married, but this isn't what I thought it would be. This is so hard. But God sees your tears. He sees your heartache. But don't listen to Satan's lies that God isn't good and that his way is too hard. When really God's ways are the path to freedom. He knows the cries of your heart, your disappointments. He cares, but today he's asking you to surrender. And I know we've talked about a lot of things this whole conference. You know what? If you could just pick one thing. God doesn't overwhelm us. He's a merciful God. He loves you. He wants to see you have a good marriage. Think, what one takeaway could I have this week, this, from this weekend, that I could go work on? You know? And another phrase I really have learned, I heard it in a song last week. Today's surrender is tomorrow's freedom. So whatever God's asking you to surrender, to open hand. The people that I see grow most are people who are constantly saying, like Jesus did in the garden, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And he's not going to ask you a thousand things at once. Like I said, he's merciful, he's good, but say, God, let me surrender. I'm willing to hear what you're trying to say to me about my marriage. Help me to do my part. Run to Jesus and ask him to help you. And in the process, which is just so true, Jesus becomes close to you because I don't know about you. This world is hard. It's a hard place to be. I want to have a good relationship with Jesus. I want to spend time with him. He is my best friend, better than Brad. He's the one that I have to go to for my source, my grace, my strength to meet my needs. If I'm not finding that in Jesus, it's very hard to have a good marriage. So run to Jesus, surrender the one area he's showing you, and cling to him. Let's pray. Lord, you're a real God. You're not just some figure way out there. And God, you've been so good to us to give us your word, to give us the body. Lord, we are family. And God, I thank you for a body like this. Thank you for people that would be willing to get child care, come out, get a sitter to hear. So Lord, I pray that God, each woman in this room would have one takeaway. It doesn't have to be from this message, but God, what one thing, the thing that right now is coming to their mind, God, that you would say, God, help me. God, give me grace. This is hard, and it seems hard, but God, I pray that they wouldn't listen to Satan's lies, that it can't change, and it can't get better. God, give them 
the grace to do what you've called them to do in this area. And God, I look forward to hearing the stories of their victory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.